from Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. The theory of change has shifted a lot in this space from let's sue everybody and let's regulate to how do we work together to shift the system, which requires truly rewiring supply chains, and that, that means collaboration. Kathleen McLaughlin is Senior Vice President and Chief Sustainability Officer for Walmart. She spoke in conversation with Diane Regas, the Executive Director of the Environmental Defense Fund, and me at the Green Biz Conference in February 2017. The conversation centered on the 10-year partnership between Walmart and EDF. Let's listen in. Hello. It's great to see you. Yeah. Hi, Diane. So in, in uh, uh, October 2005, uh, the then CEO of, of Walmart, Lee Scott, gave this really extraordinary speech on 21st century leadership and talked about, uh, it was sort of in the wake of, of Katrina and some, a great moment that for the company in which it really uh, helped, uh, helped in some significant ways and, and got a lot of, uh, it, it, and I think he saw in that moment a way that a company can be a restorative and, and a good, not just a good citizen, but really helpful. And, and that really catalyzed, I think, this talk. And, um, and pretty soon thereafter, and he launched these three big goals about being 100% renewably powered, zero waste, and creating uh, greener products or products that improve people's lives. And, and, and soon thereafter, you know, that was the beginning of Walmart's journey. It's now been a little over 10 years. And very early on in that journey, uh, Environmental Defense Fund, uh, came into the picture and uh, as a key partner. And, and I just think that's, as I said, one of the more interesting and extraordinary partnerships uh, that's been out there. And, and, and we want to talk a little about what's happened and how that's endured. And so let's start with you, Diane. First of all, you, how did this begin from EDF? What, what point did you say, Walmart, wow, that's an opportunity. And, and how, how did that go in the company? Was that in the, in the, in the nonprofit? Was that something that would get, had a lot of popularity? So it was, it, was, it was not new for EDF to be working with companies. Right. We'd worked with FedEx, with McDonald's, with some others. Um, and we started talking about working with Walmart. Obviously, that is at a totally different scale. And to tell you the truth, it was controversial within EDF um, and with some of our board members and with some of our colleagues in the environmental community. What was the, the controversy about? The controversy, you know, Walmart is a, com a complicated player. And I think there were, there were a whole host of questions, including what impact could we really have? And I think we, we've been thrilled. Uh, Walmart has been an unparalleled leader in sustainability in the retail sector. They've done more than anybody. It's just been an amazing ride. So yes, it was controversial but we've never regretted the decision. Yeah, so uh, Kathleen, the, every major environmental NGO uh, back then uh, wanted to you know, play a role, they wanted to be a part of it. Uh, you know, and most of them still to this day claim that they helped Walmart spell sustainability in, in some way, shape, or form. A lot of them too. Why did EDF become sort of the go-to player here? And you've worked with others, but again, the go-to. What was that about for you? So uh, we do work with many, and uh, many folks are in this room. We really appreciate the collaboration. One of the things we really value about EDF is um, the science-based uh, nature of the support. 
So, you know, Walmart, <coughs> when we started out in this journey, we're a retailer. We have a lot of merchants, we have a lot of operators, people who drive trucks, but we didn't really know much about where to focus. And so being able to engage with people with deep expertise was really important, so that's one. The second thing is um, any time that you do a collaboration across organizations, let alone across sectors, so private sector to you know, civil society, there are language and cultural differences. Yeah. And one of the things we've really appreciated about EDF is the ability to be quite pragmatic, to um, speak our language a bit, and we had to learn a new language too, but that's been a really, really important part of the collaboration. And the third thing I'd say is personal connection. Um, there's no doubt, everybody in this room knows at the end of the day, for us to drive change, we have to shift mindsets and behaviors of people. That's what it's all about. So whether we're trying to work with the CEO or a merchant or a truck driver or you know, folks in the field, it's all about shifting mindsets and behaviors and that requires trust and personal connection. And you know, really since day one, you, know, you talked about 10 years ago, um, it was an interesting time. I mean, think back to what you guys were doing 10 years ago and how many people did you know in your personal sphere who even knew what the word sustainability <coughs> meant? <coughs> Not that many were, were speaking that way. Well, there must have and, been some um, qualms uh, at, at your end too about working with this organization. It's always important to remember that you know, EDF was founded in the 80s with the uh, unofficial slogan of sue the bastards. And, uh, yeah. and we're actually almost to our 50th anniversary. Wow. At EDF. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you've got, and, and regardless of whether that was their slogan or not, you're you know, getting was, in bed with a, with, with, with a group that you know, has both a collaborative and an activist side. Um, what was the conversation at Walmart about that that got to the point where you could really engage? Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. Um, the theory of change has shifted a lot in this space from let's sue everybody and let's regulate to how do we work together to shift the system, which requires truly rewiring supply chains. And that, that means collaboration. And sure, we need a certain amount of regulation, but we need more creative problem solving about how to do things differently. How do we create products that um, have end of life in mind? You know, I thought, I thought it was interesting talking to Jim a minute ago. Everything he was talking about, that's the reality. So 10 years ago, yeah. Um, and, and that's why I said this third point about personal relationships and trust, because the reason this all came about for Walmart, it was the personal epiphany of Lee Scott originally, right? So 10 years ago, you know, Walmart was just plugging away, doing what we do, which is helping people save money and live better, right? And it's a very purpose-driven company. But at that time, the purpose was quite you could say narrowly defined around saving people money through the products that they buy so they can live better. And um, people really live and breathe that mission. We were trying to help people have a better life. But then it's interesting how external events can occur and they totally have a pivotal uh, impact on a person and an organization. So 10 years ago, Katrina happened. And that was a very emotional time in, in America. And for those who were here at the time, you'll remember, it was incredibly emotional for obviously the people who lived in um, New Orleans and everybody else as well. And um, we at Walmart uh, are part of the New Orleans community. We have many stores there. We have thousands of associates. So when you, that you happened- We lost a few residents, a few we lost uh, people. associates. Yes, we did. And um, <coughs> you know, when that happened, we suddenly found ourselves quite unexpectedly in the middle of this with trucks, with goods, with people who just immediately started pitching in to help. And in the aftermath of that, Lee personally reflected on that and thought, you know, we played such a big role in disaster relief in that moment. It was thrust upon us. What if we were that company every day? What if we said, how could we use our unique assets to make a difference 
in the systems that we rely on, whether those are the communities we serve or the supply chains that we benefit from in terms of selling products. Um, you know, what if we were that company every day? And so that was a personal moment for him. And that's where relationship with Fred Krupp was quite important. So, you know, he knew Fred, who, who is the leader of EDF. And Fred said, listen, if you want to learn more about this, let me take you on a journey. And they went together to a couple places. They went to Mount Washington, and Fred showed Lee some of the impacts of climate change on maple syrup production in the region. They went to Kansas. Where Lee is from, I think. Right, yep. and looked at farms and fertilizer and the impact on emissions uh, and some of the other challenges around watersheds. And that really, really influenced Lee. And he thought, you know what, we're actually one of the biggest companies in the world. We have a bunch of assets, supplier relationships, you know, ability to convene. Logistics. So, um, logistics. Yeah. So what if we came at this a different way? So that was one very important thing. The second thing that's been a massive shift in the industry, and I think we're all, you know, benefiting from this, is the realization that addressing social and environmental issues not only manages business risk, but it creates business value, and that we have to solve these problems in a way that's fully integrated. So shared value notion, right? So Lee got that. He got that immediately. And so then it was quite personal for him turning to Fred and saying, okay, you have to help me right. with new language and new ideas and initiatives within Walmart to figure this out. So let's get into the operational side of this, of how this worked. I know, so one of the things that happened, just to cut to the chase, is EDF was the only major environmental group that had uh, set up an office in Bentonville, yeah. a couple of people down there. It still is, I think, the only group there. And, and you built a whole team around that, uh, uh, my good friend Elizabeth Sturkin leading yeah. uh, that charge. Um, but how did you work together every day? What access did you have? Uh, were you, did you walk, in, walk through the halls of the home office? or? to be invited in and what, how were you brought in and how did, how did that work? So the advice we got from the beginning of working with Walmart was Walmart is like a speeding train. And so we should just latch on wherever we could and kind of make our way to the engine. <laughs> and that's just what we did. And um, over time we got invited to attend any meetings we wanted to, got badges to be able to go into the headquarters and that kind of access made a huge difference. But at a more strategic level, I think Walmart invited us in to help think through what are the goals that we should be setting? What's the greenhouse gas goal? What's the efficiency goal? Which was really what EDF was hoping for from the beginning. We learned a lot as we went forward and what that meant. You know, there's a tendency, I think we had a tendency to think, well, if they set a greenhouse gas goal, a big goal, that would be kind of, that's kind of the, the game. And what we learned is that nobody actually knew how to achieve these goals, and there was a lot of technical work that needed to be done, a lot of experimentation, a lot of innovation. And there was such a trust between the people working on it, made all the difference. So there were a lot of failures along the way, and that's one thing I like to make sure to highlight, because it's easy to look at the accomplishments and say, oh, that was fabulous. Um, but I think it's important to know that there were, exper that there were experiments that didn't work. One was the eggs. And um, we had learned early on that there was a ton of waste, which of course causes greenhouse gas emissions, causes all kinds of issues in waste, wasted eggs, because if one egg breaks in a carton, the whole thing had to be tossed. So these are eggs that uh, Walmart, Walmart was buying shelf. to sell as, you know, as if you eggs. Go, if store. you go shopping, you open the carton, yeah. and if you see one egg, you kind of set it aside. That whole thing gets thrown away. Wow. And so we thought, well, you know, if they could just replace that one broken egg, and Walmart looked at whether they could label each egg and 
we went pretty far along the road on that and actually ran into regulatory issues and had to scrap that project. Other projects have been very successful as we analyzed the whole supply chain together and said, where are the real leverage points? I think surprising to many of us, it turned out that uh, food and fertilizer use was, a, was one of the biggest opportunity points in Walmart's supply chain. And from that came the row crop initiative that we're still implementing together to look at how can we um, really optimize the use of fertilizer on lands that are used uh, to grow crops in this country. And I, I look to that being expanded to other parts of the world. And all kinds of groups, other nonprofits, um, big companies, Kellogg's, uh, others are involved in that partnership now. So it's really expanded. But that started with access, with trust, with the analysis to find the key, sort of where the key leverage points to meet those big goals. Yeah, one of the interesting challenges I would imagine at both your ends, but also from an engagement perspective for EDF is that uh, Walmart continually goes through management changes. You've had yeah. three CEOs after the there's Mike Duke, now Doug McMillan, and, and even more confounding to a lot of people, you're changing the, the chief sustainability officers back, Andy Rubin was began, and you know, the progression of Matt and, and so on, and now, and now Kathleen. Uh, so, and that's partly part of a, a Walmart uh, uh, sort of process of people, of moving people around the company uh, just, as, just to learn the company and then and find where they go. And, and, and so we get these relationships with people in, you know, doing sustainability and then they're gone or they're somewhere else in the company. How does that affect what your ability to, to have that? And how does that affect Walmart's ability to continue a relationship with an organization and, and, and not just the, the relationship, but the projects that you're doing together. I you think know, that from, from our side, the, um, the commitment to big goals and sticking with those and having, having us help play some of that continuity role has been really, really important. Um, you, you can't overst I can't overstate that if you're trying to get to 20 million metric tons of greenhouse gases, which uh, reduction, which Walmart just not only hit, but, it sh but overshot by 30%, or reformulating, you've reformulated over 10,000 products now to get toxics off the shelves. Commitment to those big goals, perseverance through them at the, at the executive level yeah. helps address that continuity of staff. I also think of it as ambassadors. Every time somebody that we've gotten close to works in another part of Walmart, it helps spread what we've learned. Mm -hmm. And that is such an important part. So I see all those folks we've worked closely with over time as ambassadors to the rest of the company and, and ambassadors to other companies as well as people move around. Kathleen, is that... What's your, what's your yeah, experience? Yeah, I would agree. I think there are a couple things that, um, you know, uh, allow us to stick with it. So one is the public goal, no question. So once we've committed to something, right. we deliver on it. And that's why we take our time before we come out with public goals because we're serious about it and we get it done. So that's one. Um, second is, yes, the talent moves are quite deliberate. So some of our sustainability folks are specialists and they will always be sustainability folks. And then some are coming in with the intention of putting them back out into marketing, into merchandising, into logistics. Private brands or, yeah. Right, because we're trying to, and some leave. So uh, Rob Kaplan is here, I saw him earlier, now runs the Closed Loop Fund, great example. Um, so we, we want to do that. We want to grow talent and then put them in other roles, either within Walmart or, or, um, or beyond. Yeah, this clock is frustratingly going very quickly. I want to take a couple of questions and I want to come back to uh, where this all goes from here. But Lauren, what do we have? 
Funny you should say that because most of the questions we're getting are about what's next. What are your specific priorities yeah. right now in terms of energy, in terms of yeah. cutting waste? So, so maybe I can say a couple words about that. We are, um, you know, and as, then as, I can comment. And you can comment. <laughs> so, uh, and you're, yeah. So as you mentioned, Joel, um, ten years ago it was 100% renewable energy, zero waste products that sustain people and, and the environment. Um, we're still true to those, but we've deepened our understanding of what those mean, and we're much more interested in the whole supply chain, not just our own operations or this particular product, but end-to-end. -end. So climate, waste, um, safe products, so safe and healthy, so chemistry and additives and so on, food security, worker safety and freedom, so that's everything from, from trafficking to, to, you know, to, to building safety. Um, and natural capital, forests and water. Those are our priorities. We're in the middle now of defining exactly what are the commitments uh, in those areas for the next 10 years. A couple I'd highlight with EDF in particular are continuing in the climate arena uh, on fertilizer in particular. So as you mentioned, we set a goal of 20 million metric tons to take out of supply chains by last year. We got to 28. A huge part of that was fertilizer, so upstream fertilizer reduction. And we've got uh, a program now with many suppliers. It's about 23 million acres, and we're expecting 11 million metric tons to come out by 2020. You know, what's next? Where does that go? And the other one is chemistry, sustainable chemistry that we'll continue to work with you, yeah. you folks on. Diane? As we look forward, I think that the issue of what's the climate goal is a really, really important one for all companies, and we're working closely with Walmart on it. If you read, if you read the papers and think about the impacts of climate change, you know, the Arctic was 23 degrees above normal this winter, which is a stunning, stunning number. Um, there's, you know, we all know there are, there's new science coming out every day to be concerned about the pace of climate change. And what I like about how uh, companies, including Walmart, are, are thinking about this is to think about it from a science perspective. So what is, what is it that the world needs uh, to get done? And so I, I think that's a really important part going forward. The work to, re to um, optimize fertilizer use and reduce greenhouse gases from that is incredibly important. The work you mentioned, Walmart has already reformulated uh, over 10,000 products to make them safer and continuing to move in that direction is gonna be incredibly important. I think, uh, though, I, I would name one more priority, um, and that is Walmart has done a ton, and it has implications for public policy. Um, the, the toxics work is a good example. There's debate going on right now in Congress about reauthorizing the law on toxics. And part of the example and part of what Walmart has done is help show what's possible, help really demonstrate where the, where the easy parts are and where the hard parts are to help inform that process. And I, I think there's, uh, Walmart deserves a lot of credit for its accomplishments and those have relevance to the broader uh, public discussion that needs to happen around environmental issues. I was gonna ask you if you had one ask of Walmart, what would that be? And I'm gonna take what you just said is that would you do you want to see Walmart take a more proactive stance on the policy front to advocate not just lead show the way but also to advocate is that what would be helpful to this part part of what we try to do is really put ourselves in the shoes of our partners and understand what their sort of where they need to be I think the the one thing I'd I would really like to see is to see Walmart's story told um, in, in in all its uh, complexity of 
what it has taken to achieve these goals, how it's been both a business benefit and an environmental benefit. I think there's a lot to learn from the story. Right, but I'm going to hold you. You screwed at that, though. You don't want to. You wouldn't want to see Walmart take a more active policy role. Of of course we would, um, and we recognize that there are places where the return on that is going to make a lot of sense, um, and we recognize there's places where there's a lot of groundwork to be laid, and people need to build the hope build the belief of what's possible. And I think telling Walmart's story can be part of building that sense of, these are problems we can solve. We can solve the issues that, the environmental issues that are facing us now. Yeah, well, thank you for telling the story today. I know the EDF put out a recent 10-year uh, uh, sort of summary of that relationship. And, and I know that, that you've been talking about it at your end, but it's a great story that continues. And, uh, and you know, take your CEO for a field trip. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it, it, it sort of that begins there. That's a big impact. Please join me in thanking Joel. Kathleen and Joel, Diane. thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you, Joel. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Kathleen McLaughlin of Walmart and Diane Regas of the Environmental Defense Fund in conversation at the GreenBiz 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.